Good to have you here tonight. We are over in Acts chapter 2. You can turn there or look up on the screen, whichever you prefer. Acts chapter 2, we began last time we were together on this one. We were looking at the sermon that Peter began to preach, and we saw that as he quoted Joel, that he changed the word. That one changing of the one word caused the timing of the prophecy to be for a different time. They were all expecting it to be at the end of the great battle that would take place in the, before the millennial reign. And he said, nope, it's going to happen right now. And of course, he is, this is the guy who didn't have an understanding too long ago. A little more than a month ago, Peter was kind of a babbling idiot. He didn't understand much of, much of anything, was sad when Jesus died. And suddenly he's got revelation. He is preaching under the anointing of God, and things come to him that he didn't see before. And so he's quoting this verse that he knows probably very well, because it's one of those things that they look forward to, but he's preaching it now under a different knowledge and a different understanding of it. So he continues on here. We're going to pick up in the second part of his message. In verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know. Now, the words here for miracles, wonders, and signs are used very interchangeably for each other. <laughs> so it's really kind of tough to tell what is a miracle, what is a wonder, and what is a sign. But here we have all three being depicted. So we're, we're depicting three things, miracles, wonders, and signs. He's saying that Jesus was attested to them by miracles, by wonders, and signs. Well, if we're looking at the things that are going on with Jesus, we saw that miracles would happen in the lives of individuals to bring about kind of uh, God intervene in their situation and change their situation around. And that could be what the, uh, he has in mind when he says miracles. Wonders are things, of course, that we would just look at and say, wow, that is just something else. And we saw that wonders would happen. Wonders were witnessed by a, a lot more than just one or two people. Uh, we would have wonders. You know, sometimes when, when he came on out there and he stilled the, the storm, what did the disciples do? Wow. <laughs> That's kind of a wonder. And signs are things that would uh, point to the fact that Jesus was Messiah. When John's disciples came to him and said, are you the Messiah? John wants to know. And so he didn't answer them right away. He went on through and he, he healed their sick and did a number of things. And he says, uh, go tell John what you've seen. So the things that they had saw were altogether a sign as to Jesus being the Messiah. And that was supposed to be sufficient. Miracles, wonders, and signs. Things were done to, a, to uh, show them that this was the Christ. But of course, they have to believe it. Did through him, Jesus, in your midst, as you yourself also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Now, just while we're on this scripture, just something to note. It was not necessary for Jesus to be crucified. It was necessary for Jesus to die. It just happened to be that the time he was going to die, the method that they used was crucifixion. And God, foreknowing that, put crucifixion in the prophecies. So it was, it was foreknown, it was foretold about these things. 
but uh, there was no, nothing magical about the crucifixion. That was just the way that they were, were killing people at the time. He needed to die, and that he did. And God had ordained that he would die way back in the beginning when man first fell. Him being delivered by determined purpose in foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death. That word there, pains, actually means birth pains. You'll notice that in your margin of your, of your Bible. It's in the margin of my Bible anyway. It says uh, birth pains in there. I had one person talk about this, that it's actually a miscarriage. <laughs> that death had a miscarriage. And uh, instead of the uh, ultimate purpose that uh, the devil had purposed us to be born into, we were miscarried and didn't get to go to the point of death, spiritual death. Having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. It was not possible for Jesus to be held by death because Jesus was not guilty of sin. He took on our guilt for the sin and the three days that he spent in the heart of the earth apparently paid for that. But if he had committed sins himself, then he would have been held by the power of death. But since he was not, it was not possible for him to be held by it. Is what the, uh, what the message here t- tells us. Now we're going to go on here and see the rest of the things that he has to teach. But before that, we're going to take you over to Luke chapter 16. This is not in your outline. You can write this in there if you want. It, it will be review for you. We have covered this a few times. This is a story... Now, this bears the resemblance of a parable, except it has a couple of things present and absent that kind of take it away from being a parable. When Jesus told a parable, he would say things like, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like, is likened to, he would say things like this. He doesn't say that in this story. One of the things about parables are all the characters have no names. But in this particular story, the characters, at least one of them has a name. It seems like he is depicting a real life thing that had happened. And he said to them, verse 15, Luke chapter 16, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. Did I copy the wrong thing? Nope, there we go. Yep, there we go. Let's go. Let's just jump on down here for a bit. I copied more than we needed. Uh, verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at the gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Here's something very interesting to note. Which one of these men had a funeral? The rich man. The rich man was buried. Lazarus it does not mention that he was buried. Now, if we mention that the rich man is buried, but the, the poor man is not buried, what do you think happened? He's probably not buried. Maybe they had another way of disposing of the bodies. He was poor, so there's no money to, to buy a tomb, to buy a, a grave. And uh, apparently it didn't matter, does it? There's a whole lot of debate in the Christian circles as to what you should do when you die. Should you be laid in the, in the ground? Is it okay to be cremated? The different things that are, are going on. Well, here it is. Two people. One person was buried. The other one was not. Who made it on to the afterlife? They both did. 
apparently what happens to your body doesn't seem to have any effect to what happens to your spirit. So just in case anybody wants to debate that, you can take this on back here to this, this story that Jesus tells. And if they don't like it, just say, well, Jesus told it. What are you going to do? Yeah, he, he told the story. Now, some people have really strong views that, you know, you know, you need to be buried. That's fine. Let them be buried. But don't impose that. Bible doesn't, doesn't, Bible does not teach it. There was a lot of Christians who were burned at the stake because at the time, that's the way that they killed them. There were some Christians who had been buried at sea. There's other ones been thrown into pits, fed to lions, all sorts of stuff. It doesn't matter. So let's go on. Verse 23, And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus, Lazarus in his bosom. So Lazarus is the guy we have the name for, the rich man. Apparently he's not important. He may think he's important. And in this life, to some people, he was important. But um, he, Jesus doesn't even mention his name. But Lazarus, he says his name a few times. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. What was Lazarus' role in this world? He was a beggar. He was a servant for people. He did things. He was there at the, master, at his, the rich man's table he looking to do some things. The rich man still looks at Lazarus in the next life in the same way he saw him in the previous life. Because he says to Abraham, tell him. <laughs> He's obviously still a servant. Tell him to just dip his hand in some water and just cool my tongue. Just tell him to do it. He doesn't ask him to do it. He asks Abraham because he still sees him in a servant type of a mode. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. This is not a parallel does not mean that if in this life you suffer bad things, in the next life you will suffer good things. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is Lazarus got on the right side. He may not have had good things in that life. You did have good things in that life, and that's what you depended on. But you didn't plan ahead. Lazarus at least planned ahead. So now he is comforted, and you are tormented. Beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that you so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So apparently there might have been some desire on the part of some to go back and forth, but the, that was not possible. Now, he's not asking an angel. He's not asking Jesus. He's not asking God the Father. He's not asking the Holy Spirit. He's asking who? Abraham, who was a man. It is not possible for a man get between this gulf. It does not mean it's not possible for Jesus to. Someone to say it. He's talking about Abraham, a man. And men cannot pass this gulf. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him away to my father's house. Again, still looking at him in servant mode. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. I wonder if they even knew that Lazarus was dead. Did they even care about him that much? Would they notice that he was even missing? What you want to see from here is that in the heart of the earth, there was both hell and paradise. 
Abraham's bosom. When you died, you went down. This was in the heart of the earth. There is no question as to where this location is. Heaven, we're not quite sure where it is. We know it's not on the earth, but we don't know exactly where. Some people put it into another dimension. Some people put it just far away in another section of the galaxy, in the universe, wherever it might be. We don't know where it is. It's somewhere, but we know we're going there. But hell, we know exactly where it is. It's in the heart of the earth. Now, that's a big place. You can go looking for it. I don't think you're going to find it. But anyway, that's where it is. And apparently, it's uh, close enough to the incredible heat that's in the heart of the earth. They just don't die. So you're not getting there. Because you'd probably die before you got to that. But on one part is hell, and on the other part is Abraham's bosom or paradise. So when you died, that's where you went. Up until the time that sin would be paid for. One half of the place, paradise, people went in waiting for sin to be paid for. The other side, Hades, they went waiting for judgment to come and for them to be sent to the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the place for eternal punishment. Hell is not. Hell is a temporary place. Satan does not rule there. Satan does not inhabit the place. Satan is not there. Does not ask anything of Satan because Satan is not in hell. As far as we know, he has no access to it. It's not his base of operation. It's not his bat cave. It's a place that the Lord made for people to be punished. This is not a place for fallen angels. The lake of fire will be. The abyss is. There are other places that uh, the Word of God talks about as far as being uh, places of punishment. But this is for people, humans. So this is what is there. Two sides of it. Just wanted to see that before we went on with the rest of the sermon that uh, we have here. Verse 25, for David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. Is, when David is writing this, is the Lord always before the face of David? No, he is not. Is the Lord always before our face? No. No, it's not. When will the Lord always be before our face? When we are with him. What David is doing here, David foresaw the Lord. He went into the future. And he foresaw some things were going to happen. He foresaw. For David says concerning him, him being the Christ, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave you my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, could be talking about one of two things. One, the soul of, of David, and two, the soul of the Christ. Could be either way. They didn't capitalize it in my version. But um, I'm uh, not sure exactly why they, they didn't, what, uh, if they saw some evidence for it. But you're not leave my soul in Hades. He does seem to be talking about himself most of the time in this. You say, well, why is he in Hades? He's in the area of Hades, but he's on Abraham's bosom's side, not on the punishment side. 
and there's a gulf between them. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One, the Christ, to see corruption. So the Christ, he is saying, you won't allow him to be in Hades for long. You will bring him back out. And his body, his physical body, will not see corruption. What happened to Jesus' body when Jesus was resurrected? It was gone. They went to the tomb, and what did they find? No body. The body was gone. The body was resurrected, and Jesus was using it again. So his body would not come into a place of corruption or decay. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. So David looked into the future to see this particular day. Men and brethren, Peter goes on, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us today. His body was buried, his body decayed. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would rise, raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. David knew that one of those coming from his body would be the Christ and that that Christ would reign forever. And that's how his kingdom was going to be established forever. David knew this and he made many prophecies about the Christ. So foreseeing that, he also saw this whole event of Jesus Christ coming down into Hades because guess where David is? David's not in heaven. David is with Abraham waiting. He's with all the other saints on that side waiting. David jumped ahead to this day and foresaw the Lord always before my face. And he foresaw him coming out. Can you imagine that being David? And jumping ahead to this day and seeing what it is. Now, here's the really, the big kicker. Peter read this how many times? And just a little over a month ago was sad that Jesus Christ had died. And now he sees this scripture and he says, oh, I see what happened. David jumped ahead to this day. He saw the Lord and he saw that God would not let him stay in 80s. And he brought him out. Wow. <laughs> this is, he is under some kind of anointing because I'll guarantee you, before he took the pulpit, he did not know this. So he's teaching under this anointing and this whole, this whole revelation comes to him and he preaches it out. David, we all read that scripture, but David foresaw this day when Jesus would come down into Hades and he would take some of the people. Which side, which of the people did he take? The one on Abraham's bosom side. Folks on the uh, hell side, they stayed. <laughs> they said, I'll wait by. I'll see you later. Because they could see each other. They all waved by. And they went on. Where do we leave off at? 30? He foreseen this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. That verse right there would kind of tell you that maybe Paul, or maybe uh, uh, David was talking about you will not leave his soul in Hades because he's interpreting it this way, that you will not leave his soul in Hades, nor his flesh see corruption. So he's bringing it about to this, his soul, which was down in Hades, paying the penalty for our sin, he would not leave there. And his body, which was still back on the top of the earth, you wouldn't let that see corruption. You would join them back together again. 
This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. He's pointing to all the guys up there. All of us, not just the 12. They got more witnesses than that. They had the 120. They had about the 500. They got a whole mess of people who saw Jesus. And you say, you see all these folks up here? We all saw them. We all saw them physically. He actually came and was here. You all crucified him, but he showed up to us. That's what they're saying. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Remember Jesus quoted this? They were asking him question after question after question. He says, let me ask you a question. They didn't ask him any more questions. <laughs> he said, if, if he's the son of David, how come David calls him Lord? And they couldn't figure that one out. He's just messing with them. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now this sermon was mostly about Jesus. But when they came, what did they ask about? What's this that's going on? And what is this that's going on? What, what, was the, what was it that they were seeing? What they saw wasn't Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit. But what he is teaching them is about Jesus. But what they're asking really is about the Holy Spirit. And so he teaches them about Jesus. He's going to show you why here in a minute. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call, the Lord our God will call. He said all this about Jesus because Jesus was going to the throne of the Father. Remember what Jesus said to him? I have to go. If I go, I will send a comforter to you. So I go to my father. When I get there, I can then send the comforter. He's going to come. He's going to be here. So he's teaching them all about Jesus because they're saying, Jesus, whom you crucified, was risen. We saw him, and then he ascended. He first descended down into hell, and then he brought the captives back up. Remember after he got resurrected, all the dead people that came showed up, bore witness. Jesus was not the only dead one resurrected. There was a lot of other ones that came about. They went around knocking on doors and showing up with people. And Hey, how you doing? Yeah, you're supposed to be dead. I was dead, but I'm on my way to heaven. and just wanted to stop in and say, hey. <laughs> and that happened all over the place. That kind of shake your, your socks off, wouldn't it? Whew. I mean, a, per, a, a person who's not supposed to be there shows up in your room. Hi, how you doing? I don't have a whole lot of time. Only got a little bit. I'm on my way to heaven. But I just wanted to stop in and say hi. Everything's going good. And that Jesus guy that you all crucified, he's good. He's all right. You know, you need to get behind me. <laughs> I don't know what all they said, but they showed up. They must have said something fun. But it was all about Jesus. But the event was about the Holy Spirit. It's because Jesus went to be with the Father. And he said, then I can send the comforter down to you. So he sent the comforter down to you. So he says that I'm repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children 
and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Well, he calls them all, but not everybody answers and listens. The call is out there for all of them. Verse 40, and many... And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. Now we look at this and we say, well, they had a perverse generation. And we say, well, you have no idea about our generation. Well, every generation probably thinks they're the most perverse, but at least the righteous of them may think that. But they said that about this one, Be saved from this perverse generation. There are things around our generation, there are things around where we are that are perverse and we need to stay away from them. Don't get caught up in them. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Those who gladly received his word were baptized. We've gone over the message of Peter to show you the incredible things that he was saying that obviously he didn't have a grip on until he started preaching this thing. The anointing was upon him to teach and God opened up scriptures as he was teaching even. The words were anointed. He preached anointed words. There's no doubt about it. He preached anointed words. He was getting things that no one else knew up until this time. But hearing is voluntary. Have you ever been in a service? And you know, you know the anointing of God was there and worship was awesome. And the teaching was eye-opening. And then you sit next to somebody and say, wow, wasn't that something? Eh, it's okay. See, some people can receive it and some people won't. It's not the anointing. It's the receiving from the people. Some people just don't receive it. Some people just, and, and have you ever been, in, have the opposite happen? Been in a place and somebody gets up and they preach nothing more than a motivational message. There's no scripture in it at all. No eye-opening, uh, understanding of scripture, just motivated people and people got excited. And they came out of there and they said, oh, did you feel that anointing? Oh, did you feel the Holy Spirit? Was there any word? Oh, no. I mean, they, don't, they didn't open the Bible, but what people think is the anointing anymore, is, and it's, it went on back then too, but what people think is the anointing is not necessarily anointing. The anointing of God will come upon us so that the word of God is opened. This is what Peter did. He came down. The spirit of God came down. Peter got out there and he preached under the unction, under the anointing of, of the Holy Spirit. And he said things about scriptures that everybody knew these scriptures, but they didn't know what it meant this. And he's teaching them there's an anointing there. And some received. If some received, that means some did not. Some, did, some gladly received, but some probably did not and went away. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. Uh, Pastor Bob Yanyan was teaching on this when we were over there at the place, we, uh, at the uh, uh, RMAI meeting. I put this up on Facebook. He was, uh, he was doing this, that he taught on this. They continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. We need to continue steadfastly. And he gave us four things in here. Four things. They continued steadfastly. If you're going to grow and the church is going to grow, you need to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We as people need to be under the anointed word of God. We need to be under the anointed word of God. 
We need to be under teaching that brings about revelation, opening up our eyes to see things we hadn't seen in Scripture before. If we are not continually having our eyes opened in the Scriptures, we will go backwards. We'll not go forward. Just being in places that give you great motivation, just being in places that give you uh, a good feeling, it's not, it's not going to cut it. You've got to be under anointed word of God as much as you possibly can. Our eyes need to be continually opened to what's going on. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And Acts is going to lay out for us that it did not just have church on Wednesday night and Sunday morning. They had church. They were over there almost all the time. They didn't have all the other things going on. They didn't have the movie theaters. You know, they didn't have all the different activities that you can go out there and do. But they, they were always in the church. They were in the church constantly. And somebody got up and would preach. And they would be under the anointed word. They'd be under people preaching. They were learning the things about this church age. Things were being taught. They continued steadfastly. They continued. Continued means to start and to Keep going. You got to keep going. You can't just start and stop, start and stop, start and stop, start and stop. You can't do that. You got to continue steadfastly. They were diligent with it. They stayed with it. Four things. The apostles' doctrine, the preaching of the word of God. Number two, fellowship. Fellowship with other Christians is important. You need to be in fellowship with other Christians. Breaking of bread. That can, some reference to this might be the communion table. But mostly, this is going to be just getting around and eating. When we go out after church and eat together, it's anointed of God. It's not only commanded by your pastor, it's commanded by the Word of God. Right here. Fellowship and breaking of bread is different. After church, many, some, some weeks, we just spend time in fellowship. And we sit around and we fellowship before everybody goes home. But there's other weeks where we say, hey, we're going out to a restaurant. We're going out somewhere to eat. Why? Because when we have the breaking of bread together, it changes the way we relate to each other. And you need to have that amongst Christians. It's important to your development. It's important to, to what you do. We need to have it. Fellowship, doctrine, breaking of bread, and prayers. Prayers is plural. Ephesians tells us there's all kinds of prayers, all manner of prayers. There's prayers you do by yourself. There's prayers of faith. There's prayers of intercession. There's prayers of supplication. There's prayers for wisdom. There's all kinds of prayers that we make. There's prayers when we pray together. If we are going to grow as a church, if we are going to grow as individuals, we need to have all four of these things going on. Anointed teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. This is what he says they continued steadfastly in. If we are not growing ourselves to the point that we want to, are we lacking in any of these three, uh, four areas? We need to make sure that we, we get there with that. We need to stay with it. Anointed teaching is important. Fellowship is important. Breaking of bread together, important. Prayers, important. Sometimes we do uh, okay with like two out of four, <laughs> three out of four. But how many did the early church continue in? All four. How many did they continue steadfastly in? All four. What should we do? <laughs> continue in all 
4. Don't let them go. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. That was a good fear. They weren't afraid of. They had respect for. Sometimes we've lost that. They had respect for them, not, not fear of them. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. I heard one person put it this way. They had all things in common because they were persecuted by the government. And it came about that it was, uh, the government would actually come and seize Christians' belongings. And they would take all of them. If you turned in a Christian, you would get 10% of whatever they had, and the government got the rest of the 90. Now, the only problem with assigning that to this area of Scripture is it hadn't happened yet. You cannot persecute the Christian church when you don't even know what it is. And the Christian church was not persecuted initially. The Christian church came under the sanctioned religion of Judaism. And until the Jews kicked the Christian church out and said they are not part of us, that is a wrong sect, then then they no longer had the protection of the Jewish sanctioned religion. They were out on their own. Then they became persecuted. That is not for a long time. That has nothing to do with this. They had everything in common simply because of this. When they had everybody come together as a feast, it was very common for the Jewish people to to help take care of all the needs of all the people coming in. But when they all came in for the feast, they stayed longer than the feast because the Holy Spirit was being poured out and things were going on and no one wanted to go home. So they stayed longer than they intended to stay. So a need rose up in the church in that all these folks who came down to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit is being poured out, but they don't want to leave. What are we going to do with them? Well, we'll bring in some of the things that we have and we'll have some stuff in common so that we can use that to you know, buy some food, get some things that we need for the, the people that are here. And that's where that came about. It was not a way of the church. It was not a way that God told them to be. God did not teach them to be socialist. God is not a socialist. The Bible is not socialism. The Bible is more, uh, much, much closer to, um, uh, what do they call that? Commerce, uh, I can't even think of it now. Capitalism. Capitalism, than it is to socialism. So God is not into socialism. If you work hard, you get more. If you are more diligent, more stuff comes to you. What does Jesus say? Two women have more, more will be taken away so that others can have. No, that's not what he teaches. That's what socialism teaches. God is not a, social, a socialist. He is not. You can try and put it on there all you want to. He is not. He says, for more, him who has more, what will happen? More will be given. Why? Because he was faithful with it. He even brings up that question. But he already has 10. <laughs> He's already got, why are you going to give him that one? He's already got 10. Because to him who has more, more will be given. Why? Because he was faithful with the more, he'll be faithful with this. If he was faithful with five, if he was faithful with ten, he'll be faithful with eleven. That's how he looked at it. That's how God continues to look at it. He rewards those who are diligent, those who are faithful. That's what he does. So when they brought all this together, it's more an extension of what they did whenever they had these feasts there. But it just took on a, a, a new life of its own because people just kept hanging around because of this outpouring. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved, not such as should be saved. It's a bad translation. Those, the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. Those are the ones that he added to the church. Anyone could have been saved that they would have just gladly received the word. Now we put in the bottom here, that there's no substitution for anointed teaching in our lives. We need to find anointed teaching. Unfortunately, it's becoming a little bit more rare. We sometimes have a hard time ourselves finding it on some podcasts we like to listen to when we're in the shop doing some stuff. Finding people who just get into the Word of God is sometimes hard. But they are out there. We need to make sure we stay under it. If we are to grow, we must continue in it along with fellowship, breaking the bread, and prayers. This is how the church began, and it is how the church is to continue. We need to have these four things going on. So take an examination of your life. Of those four things, how are you doing? Are you having the fellowship? Are you breaking the bread? Do you continue to listen to anointed word? Not motivational word. Don't get, don't, if, if people don't preach the word of God, don't listen. It will mess you up. I heard uh, people say it before. You know, it's not, the, it's not the wrong stuff that you know that hurts you. It's the stuff that you think is right that is wrong that'll hurt you. I'm paraphrasing that a little bit, but you get the idea. It's the stuff that we think is, is true, but is false. But we hang on to it as true. Don't get that stuff into your head. Don't get a hold of people who, are, who aren't teaching the right thing. I've, I give you our three guidelines here we use in this church. You should use them with anybody. If it is going to be taught in such a way that you need to dictate your life by it, it needs to be taught clearly, often, and it needs to be demonstrated. It needs to be demonstrated. Someone in the Word of God needs to have done it. If no one in the Word of God did it, if it's not taught clearly, it's not taught often, hey, it's probably a good thing to know, maybe. Maybe it's a good thing to know, but otherwise just leave it alone. And we've we've given you examples. That whole part about the race before Adam, I think it's very strong in the Word of God. There was a race here before Adam. It was judged. There's a lot of uh, evidence in the Word of God of its judgment. But we don't live our life by it. It's just something to know. Helps us know some things like where demons came from and some other stuff like that. But it does not have an impact upon your living the Christian life here. It's just something that's good to know. Uh, Where did the floodwaters come from? Where did the floodwaters go? Nice stuff to know. Doesn't impact your life. It's not taught often. Not necessarily talk clearly. There's some things you can, you can spend some time on it. It's fine. But these are not things that you need to, to, um, to dwell on. These are not the things that are going to help you out in your Christian walk. The things that are taught clearly, often, and are demonstrated. These are the things we need to have people ministering to us on, teaching us on. We need to be under that on a regular basis. You need to find some Christian folks to fellowship with. You need to go out to church, go out and have some lunch with some people. Everyone's, well, I don't have time. Hmm. Okay, there you go. This is how the, the early church started. This is how we're going to continue. Prayer time. Have your own prayer time. Have some group prayer times. The early church had individual prayer times, and they had group prayer times. They had both going on. We need to have both going on. It's how the church began. It's how we will continue. How are you doing on those four things? Do you continue steadfastly? Sometimes we say, Father God, what is my life missing? We just come to a thing of scripture right here. It's right there. Here's four things. 
What's missing in your life? You don't, need to, you don't need God to come down, wake you up in the middle of the night, give you some kind of a dream, vision, or something like that. You got the Word of God teaching you. It's right there. How you doing on those things? I'll tell you what, it helps out a whole lot. Some of the best things we have ever had in our life have happened because we have sat around with Christians and talked about the Word. We go out there to Ramah. We, even right here, we just love it when we all get to go out to eat and we talk about the Word. Love talking about the Word. We go out there to Ramah and we uh, get together with some ministers that are hanging out there and we'll sit around the table and talk about the Word. Oh, just talk about what God's doing. Talk about things. It's just so much. Oh, we so enjoy it. We had a time even when we were out there at the, the convention there with uh, all the, all the Ramah folks where we got together. We, we met up with some people. We had about, uh, how many was it, uh, four other families? four other groups of people, and we said, we're going to meet up in the, in the hotel lobby afterwards. And so we, uh, we were all staying at the same hotel, and so we met up at the hotel lobby, and uh, we got together. I don't know what time we started, 10.30? About 10, was it about 10 o'clock? What did we leave, around 1 o'clock? <laughs> and we had to chase each other out. We're holding each other, uh, holding the <laughs> eyelids open, but we're just having so much, such a good time talking about the things of God. And we know that it's, it's, it's instrumental in our growth to help each other out. These are important things. And, but you have to have a love for them. You have to have a love for them. And you have to pursue them. These are things that will help you to grow. This is what, what Peter taught them, what Peter did. Isn't it amazing the anointing that is on Peter to preach? You have a guy. Remember Jesus prayed over Peter? Peter, I have prayed for you that after you have fallen, that you would come back and you would strengthen your brethren. During the time of Jesus' life, that prayer was not fulfilled. It wasn't until Jesus went on to be in heaven and the Holy Spirit was poured out that that happened. Who was the most prominent character in the book of Acts? Peter. Peter is the most prominent character for the first seven or eight chapters. Paul does show up. But even when Paul shows up, who's still a prominent character? Peter. <laughs> Peter is a major character in the book of Acts. And every place you go, Peter's involved in helping something, changing something, doing something, got a vision about something, preaching something, his shadows passing over people, wonders, miracles, all kinds of stuff are being done. Peter got changed because this anointing came upon him. It was fabulous. What a God we serve. Changed this man, and he became such an instrument in starting the New Testament church. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the image you give us of Peter, the change that could come upon him, that suddenly understanding was in his life on the scriptures, anointing was on him, that he would preach things that he had no knowledge of before, but it just flowing out of him because it just comes from you. We thank you, Father, that we can be under that kind of anointed teaching, the people that you have put in the body of Christ today, that that anointing would come upon them, and they would teach us things that are pertinent for what's going on right now, what's happening with us right here, that your word is taken and applied. It doesn't matter about experience. It doesn't matter about motivation. What matters is what does your word have to say because that is where the power is. We thank you, Father, for those that are in our life that will do that. Help us never to get to a place where we discount it as some have done and have shipwrecked their lives. But we must always realize the word of God it's the most important thing, the, most, the greatest stabilizing force in our life. And we need to focus on it. Then when we get together with other people, fellowship, breaking of bread, 
even in our prayers, your word impacts all three of those areas. And it shapes us, stabilizes us, and brings us to the place we need to be. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.